Welcome to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Chris. And I'm Lance. And today, we have the privilege of speaking to one of the best creators in comics today. He is a three-time Eisner Award-winning artist and writer who co-created Odyssey with Matt Fraction, Invisible Kingdom with G. Willow Wilson, Bloodstained Teeth with Patrick Reynolds, and Aquaman Andromeda with Rom V. Coming in hot off of his most recent creative triumph that is Batman City of Madness, we are joined by none other than the immensely talented Christian Ward. Christian, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I like the introduction that says I'm coming in hot, which makes me sound like kind of like, in my mind, that's like a hip hop star. I'm coming in hot. I'm like the least hip hop person you know. So that's that's, that's how I do hip hop. Coming in hot. Coming in, <laughs> in. In, in. In my head, it's the heat from like the exhaust of the Batmobile. Like we're just coming in that hot right now. Yeah. There is a lot of exhaustion going on over here. What, what, what? (laughs) It's the equivalent of, like, when you do something like this, it's the equivalent of, like, going on a world tour, and then you just finish this, you know, amazing world tour, and now, I mean... For yeah. comic book artists, it's, it's different, right? Yeah, it, you just carry on. You on I'm on another yeah. world tour now for something yeah. completely different, yeah. and I am exhausted. <laughs> I'm not surprised. You had you have some exciting things coming out very soon. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely too soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I, I was just I was just re-listening to your interview with uh, our friends Chris and Aaron over at the Oblivion Bar podcast, mm-hmm. and I, I strongly suggest everyone go out and listen to episode 132 of the Oblivion Bar podcast where Christian goes on to to talk about how Batman City of Madness came into creation. Uh, This is a cosmic horror Lovecraftian Batman epic that Christian has been wanting to do since he was 13 years old. Christian, I want to know, now that mm-hmm. Batman City of Madness has concluded, and we're going full spoilers here for our listeners. Full spoilers. Now that you've concluded this dream project, what do you think that 13-year-old version of yourself would say if they got their hands on City of Madness? I mean, I, it, honestly, it blows my mind that I, I've got to do this. You know, and I always, you know, and I thank my editors for kind of giving me the chance to pitch it and, and for them green it. And, you know, huge kudos to, to DC for letting me do it. Um, it's wild. You know, it's it's funny. You know, as a, as a professional comic book artist, you know, there, there is a level of... Um, you have to be cool and you have to be like, you know, it's just my job. And, you know, and you meet peers who you really like or you're fans of. And, you know, they're just my peers and, and you just stay cool and it's a job. And this is the one time where I'm like, you know, I'm not going to play cool. This is amazing. And I'm happy to say <laughs> it's amazing. It's really cool. Like, How often does that happen? Even for people that work within kind of creative fields, that they get to fully realise something that they've been wanting to do since you know being a teenager and that's that is literally what has happened so you know yeah. this is i'm not a big believer in magical thinking you know, I'm, like, I'm like the polar opposite to you know alan law and, and and grant morrison um in, in that regard but um you know I, I i've worked hard to try and will this into existence um but it it's um i don't think i ever really believed I could will it into existence until like until it was there. Do you know what I mean? All along, I was just like, okay, it's it's been greenlit up to this point, but something's going to happen. Even after it got greenlit, I was saying to my wife Catherine, something's going to happen. Like they're going to be like, 
oh, we made a mistake. We meant to put a cross, not a tick. You know, there'll be some weird kind of admin mistake, and I'll be like, oh, it'll be gone. It's just, but having done it, it's just last year working on on Batman: City of Madness was the best creative year of my my whole career. It was it mm. was just phenomenal. Uh, and yeah, my only worry now is, you know. What you know? What do I do now? You know, where, you know, where do I aim now? Um, you know, it's um, it's quite a thing, and it's you know, I'm very honoured, and and the response has just been, I mean, that's the other thing. You know, had I done this, and then the response would have been like, yeah, it's okay, but maybe stick to the art, or you know, it looks pretty, but it's not. You know, the response has just been so. It's just soul food, you know. It's just really fed me up. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it was on almost every single comic book podcast best of the year book. And that cost me a lot of money in bribery. I, yeah. yeah, that was a lot. <laughs> Bank account was down, but the positivity and the good vibes were up. <laughs> I bought it all. <laughs> and, and I will not be surprised when City of Madness hits everyone else's best of 2024 oh, list as well. Oh, thank you. No, I mean, it's, it's I, you know, I'm really honoured that it's resonate, re- resonated with so many people. You know, because it's, uh, you know, we'll get into this, but it's, as much as it's, you know, Batman, it's also a, a really personal story that I was trying to, you know, without sounding too kind of pretentious, I was trying to say something with, you know, and then the fact that, and actually trying to be quite emotional with and emotive. Uh, and for people to, like, I think some of my favourite sort of reactions to it were people talking about how it made them cry i was like yes that's the ambition <laughs> that's always been the ambition to do something so pure that you can make someone cry i mean that's that's for me that's the height yeah. that's the height elicit that strong emotional response yeah yeah because yeah. you know that's pure Absolutely. empathy right there yeah well i mean it, it must be surreal just from going from a social media post of like maybe someday this will be a thing and and then that happens like that doesn't happen like that is a it's you and simu liu are the only people that have made that happen (laughs) it's crazy to the point where this is this is a little spoiler for you to the point where we're going to do a whole uh feature on that in the back of the hardcover we're going to do like kind of like a story of how this happened because i think even dc recognize this is quite a crazy thing you know yeah um you know it's just um it was funny i did that image it, like that image just like popped into my head the kind of like cthulhu like batman and it was all like kind of swirling around the kind of arkham verse uh not the arkham verse from the game but the, you know serious house serious earth and um i posted it up without really kind of thinking too much of it and it, I, the first time i posted it it was like two thousand likes which at the time I'd never had any sort of response like that uh, mm-hmm. on Twitter. So it was like, I knew then that it was something, but I didn't know it would actually, you know, go on. But like, of course I started to stoke the fire. Once I saw that, it was just like, I, you know, then it became a methodical, okay, retweet now, retweet now, like post again, you know, keep stoking that fire. And I was just, you know, it was the, the it was the timing of it was perfect, you know, because I just finished, I just retweeted it, um, like I think like a year after the initial retweet, and I was just finishing working on the book you mentioned earlier, Aquaman with uh, with Ram, and uh, just got talking with Chris Conroy, who's the head of Black Label, 
And he was just like, what is this Batman thing? And is there a story? And because there was a story, it was I was able to shoot off, you know, a pitch within half an hour of that like kind of conversation. And it just happened. It was amazing. That's that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. Always have your pitch ready, I think is Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have that yeah. dream. I mean, I've now got a letter for John, James Gunn to turn it into a film. That's the next step. I think right, that, right. That, you know, <laughs> the Elseworlds that, movie. Right? Surely this will happen. Surely. Yeah. <laughs> I I want this to be turned into a film so badly. I think this would become one of the coolest like animated oh, DC films yeah. ever. Yeah, that wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be cool? Who yeah. knows? Who knows? What I'm after is I'm after a toy. I want a Batman Below toy. Oh, That's yeah. what I oh, really want. Sure. Or, or like, or like a black and white statue. That's what I want. You know. Yeah. Get McFarlane toys on that, and yeah, yeah. Make it I mean, like me and Todd have like <laughs> chatted over the years because like we've flirted with the idea of me doing some spawn. Um, there, there you go. You got an exclusive there. Yeah, uh, nothing definite, but like we've, we've talked about it. Your work on Spawn would be crazy. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Um, and actually, it was really cool. I sent him, um, and this was a while ago. Now, he, like, I sent him kind of like a, a pitch of um, what I would do, and I was, <laughs> and it was really cool because, like, like he basically very graciously kind of said no to it, but not. No, it was like no, but cook come back with something else but he kind of said no because it was like too far out there i was just like yes i mean imagine that pitching something that was too far out there for nod i was like amazing fine but with tentacles coming out <laughs> yeah yeah it was the same thing basically um and i um i sent him a, a cheeky email when when the first issue came out i was like oh you know just just in case you, you're looking for any new toys but he never replied so i don't know <laughs> but you know nice. one day maybe one day well you mentioned with the editors of black label uh, you know how is that different working with them is it, is it more creative freedom because it's kind yeah. of a little bit you know out of the continuity or you mm -hmm. know i mean there's there's some 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 continuity that's tied with previous things like like arkham asylum but court of Owls. how is how is that creative freedom yeah it's endless it's endless it's it's more akin to doing a crow own book you know it's your it's your baby oh, yeah. it's like your baby but with their toys um, I mean, there was the only thing that you really need to adhere to is like, um, it was just about kind of, it was just about kind of like having kind of like the, the level of horror and violence balanced, you know, I couldn't go too far, but I didn't, you know, I'm not really a kind of like gory horror guy. Um, yeah. so that wasn't really a big deal, but it was, it was just about the balance. It was about kind of keeping the, the, the best way that I've had black label described to me is it's the character you know in a situation you don't so the character has to feel very true to you know the law and, and kind of everything the, the stories that have come before but you can change everything around them so batman had to feel like batman but you know yeah. that was fine because like it, it was my love letter to the character so i wanted him to feel like batman you know i feel like i mean you, you know not necessarily for me to say but like out of any kind of existing character i feel like batman is the one character i can sit down and write like i could write batman forever uh, i don't know if I'll, I'll get a chance again but i could write him forever because i just you know he's the character i grew up with i love him um i want him to be my dad you know and it's just <laughs> you know it's so that means you want to be robin nah 
<laughs> May, uh, maybe Damien. I want. I want to be. Damien. Yeah. yeah uh, there you go. I want to be yeah, a blood. Yeah. It was funny. I went. Um, I was at New York Comic Con, and I'm, I've got a real soft spot for Damien. And um, we, I was on the Batman panel. At the end of the panel, there, there was like a silly kind of like just like jokey kind of like who's your favorite Robin, and therefore, and I was pretty much at the end of the line, and everyone went down. And then, and uh, people were like, say, people were basically saying, um, you know, they kind of, you know, blah 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 blah. And they got to me, and I said, uh, I said, Damien, oh, that was booed. I was just like, what? People are not like Damien. I was actually booed. I was like, boo, boo. What year was that? This year, just gone. What? That's, I know. I thought people, that makes I thought no people, sense to me. I thought people liked Damien. But, Damien's yeah. awesome. Super Sons is incredible. Yeah, I'm I'm a big Damien fan, and I love them. I love the whole Grant Morrison mythology of kind of like Damien in the future as Batman. I mean, that would be to get something to do with that character next would be that would be mm. sweet. It's be time sweet. to manifest that on social media. Oh, it's begun already. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Batman City of Madness has been called a spiritual successor to Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earth from Grant Morrison and Dave McKean. What what details brought over from Arkham Asylum, which you expounded on in City of Madness, might go unnoticed upon an initial read through or something in particular that you really grasped onto and wanted to highlight in City of Madness? I mean, it, it was important that the, the house was in there, that the serious house was in there, you know, you know, and that's, you know, what I didn't want to do is it, it, it couldn't be a retread. So it, I didn't want it to be Batman's in Arkham Asylum and he can't get out. You know, it was very important that it wasn't that. But in, in, but in essence, the, the kind of the core concept of it was, it was kind of like, what if Arkham was Gotham and it, it, it had become the whole of Gotham? So really, when he goes to Gotham below, it's very much Arkham, which is why when they get to Arkham, it's empty. Um, you know, so it, it's... It was it was very much about having that at the heart of the story, and then at the heart of that, it's about kind of you know Amadeus Arkham and his family, uh, and then bringing in you know obviously Martin Mad Dog features in both stories, uh, and the murder of the, the of the the daughter and the wife features in both stories, and, and it's almost identical in both stories. The only change I added there was obviously I added an extra child being Arthur. Um, Arthur Arkham. So there was that, and obviously we have the Doctor um, from from Arkham Asylum. It's the same Doctor that that shows uh, Batman around in the first issue. So there's lots of kind of like people that have read Arkham Asylum. There's lots of things there that you can kind of pick up on it. Oh, it's that. There's that connection. There's that connection. There's that connection. But but beyond that, it was also about mirroring the kind of. The thing that I really loved about Arkham Asylum when I read it and how it kind of changed me as a comic book reader, bearing in mind I read it when I was like 13, was that this psychological depth to it. And these characters were presented both kind of like visually realistically, but also emotionally very realistically. Uh, And the kind of the journey of the soul that Batman does and the journey of the soul that Harvey does that's very much in the background of Arkham Asylum, but is a really key feature. We end the we end the whole story with him, you know, and he's the only character really that has an arc. 
in Arkham Asylum, Serious House, Serious Earth. And so it was really important. It had to have um, Harvey as a kind of emotional backbone and it had to feature the house and it had to feature the Arkhams. I mean, when I read Serious House, there was this, I felt like there was this deeper, terrifying magic in the world. You know, that scene where Arkham kind of loses his mind and he's scratching on the floor and it's almost kind of these occult markings that he makes. I mean, I really kind of took that quite literally and was like, okay, well, let's let's go there because there, there's definitely hints of something much darker and older. Uh, and it was, you know, it, it was... It wasn't hard to kind of build on top of that. You know, that book is my foundation. And without that book, this story wouldn't work. Um, so, you know, always, always sort of like with lots of respect, tipping my hat to, you know, Grant and Dave. I said that like I know them. Always t- tipping my hat to, to their to their work on that amazing book. And likewise to Scott and Greg uh, for The Court of Owls, you know, and, and bringing those characters into the same world, um, you know. And, and, you know, it's about kind of treating treating them with respect and, and but also trying to trying to put your own spin and, and take the story to where you want to take it to, to sort of hopefully make it personal to you. I have a really interesting experience reading City of Madness and the fact that I read City of Madness first and then read Arkham Asylum. Oh, interesting. When I was reading through Arkham Asylum for the first time, I was looking for things that I that you might have drawn from and, and brought mm. over. And one thing that caught my eye was in one of the panels, it, there, just in the text, it says, Until the night in 1901, when I first caught a glimpse of the other world the world on the dark side. Mm. There's the below right there. There's there's yeah. all these hints. If if this was written out of order, if Arkham Asylum was written after City of Madness, there's all these elements that you see that City of Madness does that can be drawn from. <laughs> but the fact that it's the other way around, it's so cool going back through and rereading Arkham Asylum now to to see where you've pulled these elements because it, it's so apparent. Like you mentioned, like the occult writings that are on the ground from from... Uh, Amadeus Arkham. It it makes you feel like Arkham Asylum was so sinister that you didn't see the depth of how dark it really was yeah. until you read City of Madness. Yeah, because it it reads like a cosmic horror. Absolutely, it really does. Mm. Yeah, like it almost feels Arkham. You know, City of Madness almost it kind of almost felt too easy, like almost too obvious. Like why hasn't someone done this before? <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it was. Um, I mean, and it was amazing. Like, it, I, I got two copies of the book. In fact, I might even have three copies of the book. Um, and I'd have like, I've got like a reading copy, and I've got like the twentieth, twentieth anniversary one that you can see mm-hmm. behind me there. Um, and I'd, you know, I'd have it on the side, both when I was writing the script. So I wrote all the script first before I started drawing it. So issues one through to three, um, and then I started drawing because I really wanted to make sure that. I had everything, but it was always about going back to that text. You know, that was the Bible, going back to it, you know, rereading it and then sprinkling all the the clues throughout. So that it felt like a kind of, it had to feel, it had to feel like a kind of like a continuation, but also like a love letter to the book. I mean, I, I, I just, I couldn't quite have the arrogance of saying it, it's a direct sequel. 
uh, because you know I think the only person that could make a direct sequel would be Grant and Dave. Um, so it, it's very that's why I always kind of refer to it as a spiritual uh, sequel. Um, but it, it to th- the idea that you went back and read it after after my book and saw those clues that's wonderful. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, I I had an absolute blast. Cool, that's cool. Well, my work here is done. Goodbye, gentlemen. <laughs> we figured it out. Yeah. Deep dive done. <laughs> I love the allegories of, of father and sons, like you mentioned, like kind of as the core theme. And Alfred mm. plays this oh, kind of nice, like, oh, you know, Alfred. background. I know. Oh, Alfred. Oh. He's my favorite non-father father figure yeah. in comics, you know? Oh. And uh, I mean, we, and we've seen that portrayed beautifully in comics and movies and, and everything and uh, Lego you know, and everything. Like yeah. That. yeah. Um, but, you know, he writes these letters to Bruce and then burns them. And then it, it, the whole comic ends with Bruce reading the final letter. And then there's that embrace and, you know, Bruce has taken his mask off. It's almost mm-hmm. kind of hinting that if, if he had just talked about his feelings, you know, if Bruce had talked about his feelings, like maybe he wouldn't have become Batman. Like if he had just opened up to Alfred. Barbara makes, makes that very point in issue yeah. one. You know, yeah. she she kind of quips it as a joke, but that there was truth in it. You know, if if these guys had spoken about it, you know, maybe he wouldn't have been. I mean, there's a whole there's this whole kind of like joke around kind of Bruce Wayne and, and Batman, and like you know, if if Bruce Wayne's a millionaire, why doesn't he just give his money to charity and then there'd be no crime? You know, there's a, there's a whole joke that comes <laughs> over and over, and you're just like, right. yeah, 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 yeah. But then there'd be no story. So like, well done, you've just killed it. <laughs> Um, but it's it, it's fun to have those conversations because it's the same conversation really. If he s- sat down and, and thought about what he was doing and had, and processed his trauma in a kind of healthy way, he probably wouldn't put on a costume. But we, mm. we don't want that. We want him to be broken, and, and we want him to, you know, we want him to sort of stay unfixed because it's you know that's what makes the character the character. Um, yeah, you know, so the, it it was very careful. I had to walk a very careful line because, like, like like any long-standing character, they can't really change too much. You know, they can't have any big, big revelations, really, or a, a big arc. Or at least, if they do, they have to have something that reverts them back to square one. Because otherwise, you know, how do you keep a character going for like you know now 80, 80 plus years? Um, so it was about having some emotional truth in the book and having some sort of like, you know, an emotional journey that kind of hinted at him getting healthier or at least kind of having a, a bit more of an emotional connection and a realisation of what he was doing both to himself but also to, um, you know, to the Robins in his life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, you know, but not going so far that you kind of make a mockery of the character and you kind of say, well, yeah, this is ridiculous. He's, why would, I mean, that's one of my least favorite tropes in some of the films, as much as I love a lot of the films, this whole, like, let's do Batman, but real doesn't work for me. Just, mm-hmm. just because he doesn't have any superpowers doesn't mean there's not, you you have to hold on to a fantastical element to make that character work. It was definitely acknowledging the idea that, that, 
Alfred. But also, it was, you know, there's a mirror between Bruce and between what Bruce does to the to the to his Robins and what Alfred did to Batman. And there's that mm-hmm. line in the first issue where he's apologizing to the painting of Thomas and Martha and he says, I'm sorry, I was weak. I wanted my vengeance too. So there's that yeah. scene that he you know he's he a makes, conduit. Yeah, he can yeah. you know he he was his father when you know Bruce was a young lad. He could have steered him away from violence. He could have steered him away from vengeance. But what he did is he he tunneled it into training the lad. You know, there's we see that sequence of him like teaching him boxing. You know, so he's very aware of what he's done in that moment of weakness, wanting vengeance, using Bruce as a weapon and turning him into Batman in the same way that Bruce then turned all the different Robins into you know into their own weapons you know it yeah. was it's very much about that kind of trauma as a weapon i really enjoyed the humanization of alfred because he's always depicted as being this infallible being of upstanding character but we learned that he was also guilty of wanting that vengeance and then yeah. using someone of so much potential like bruce into becoming this weapon yeah you do such a great job within city of madness of all these these parallels with within these various parallelisms the one standout to me was really the comparison between arnold arnold wesker's sister giving him scarface to batman giving dick grayson and and the rest of the robins their robin costume both of these actions serve as a means for the recipient to enact vengeance initially on those that wrong them, but then it perpetuates this violence on others who they see as deserving. So yeah. when we have that dual panel where Bruce is realizing that connection, what is mm-hmm. going through his mind as as he comes to that realization? Horror. Hmm. It's horror. You know, he's like, you know, there's that moment, and, and he can only express it through silence because it's that realization. You know where he just stops talking because he's it's the penny finally drops. You know because he loves the kids. You know it's, he doesn't do it out of malice, in the same way that Alfred doesn't do it out of malice. But the thing is, you know, we hurt the people we love. You know, uh, you know you can do bad things to the people you love because you're blinded by trauma or you're blinded by whatever. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't negate your you're wanting the best for them, you know, and we're all a massive contradictions, you know, people are not, we're not made to be like completely good, completely bad. We are all grey with just a little bit of good and a little bit, uh, you know, we've all done something or whatever. And so it was really important to me that he has that realisation, but his pride and just the, the mission stops him from going any further. You know, I considered having a scene in the last issue where he does have a kind of like, you know, having kind of like Dick at the end and having that kind of, but I just felt like, didn't think it was realistic. I just didn't think that would ever happen. He he just wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. You know, because the thing with, with the thing with, with Alfred, it's Alfred that instigates that, that thing and he almost turns, turns Bruce back into a child on that last page. And I don't know yes. if you noticed it, but I I've I mirrored the the, the hug uh with uh Giovanni. So with Giovanni um it's mirrored. So basically 
Batman, Bruce is hugging Gironi and holds him. And and I, I've mirrored his pose, so it basically I inverts it. Not perfectly, but just enough to show that it's Bruce being the child. He's the one being held by the adult, uh, being that Alfred. And to me, that felt realistic because the arc there is not necessarily about Bruce. It's not about Batman. The arc was about Alfred. It was about Alfred having a little bit of redemption and having a little bit of, like, you know, letting all these emotions out. Um, you know, for, for Batman, he's always, you know, he can have these realisations, but I always think it's it's important that he just can't, he couldn't let himself be completely like, I'm sorry, I've done this to you. Um, he can think that and he can know that, and he there might be things that he does that show it, but it would always be silently and it would always be stoically. Yeah, because if he does acknowledge that, then then it's this domino effect of does it topple everything that exactly. he has created and as this exactly. protector of the city? And at, the, at this point, the mission is too important. Yeah. And a side note. Wesker making a puppet out of his own hand and speaking in tongues is probably one of the most nightmare fuel inducing things I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's so oh, crazy. I, I love doing that panel. Uh, that, that was just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that little bit of flesh. And then when that Hass came back with his letters and he actually had it wrapping around his hand, I was just like, there's a reason why you're the best letter <laughs> in the business. Nice. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, that, that was great. We we've mentioned Harvey is is so awesome in this in this whole thing and just his pivotal role uh, that he has in the storyline and his relationship with Bruce is simultaneously heartwarming and very tragic. You know, it, it's it's with his dissociative identity disorder, we have the good and the bad personas with Harvey above. And what would you consider Harvey below's persona to be? And does he have multiple personalities within him that? that we didn't see or that, that, you know, if, if we had time, you would like explore further. Well, here's, here's, here's the thing that my thinking, uh, this, the half below is cured. Yeah. He's cured. Um, and, and I felt like that was quite interesting. Like, I really like the idea that all the characters in Gotham below are this twisted versions of, 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 um, of the, the rogues gallery. Um, but there is there's a logical reason why he was cured, and and I can I can tell you what it is if you would like. Yes, please. <laughs> because um, Bruce Wayne, and obviously people that have read it know this now. Bruce Bruce Wayne below is not Batman in in Gotham below, and so he yeah. had a friend. He had a friend, and his friend wasn't trying to punch him all the time, so he healed because he had that he had that person that helped him. And that's why, you know, and, and that's why he passes it on. Like he has this, he's just like, this this man helped me and, and I'm now cured and I'm now okay. Um, but he has this connection with his with his counterpart in Gotham Above. And it's all about, you know, it's all about like, you know, wanting to kind of like pass that. He, feel, he, he has a debt that he feels like he needs to pay um, after... Um, Bruce Below is killed. Um, he feels like he needs to do something to, and and, and there's a tre tremendous amount of guilt that he wasn't able to save him, which is kind of why he has that scene where he apologizes when Batman gets attacked, and he says, "I'm sorry," 
I, I was scared. He's not necessarily talking about when Batman was attacked. That's really just it's coming out like he wasn't able to protect his friend. And so a lot yeah. of this is about him. Okay, I need to. I need to do something now. You know, to 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 be okay. Uh, and it, you know, and it's hugely so. He knows that Gotham below isn't going to be for much longer, or is it? Um, so, um, but yeah. So it, it it's his story is is kind of hinted at. There are clues in there about like why he's healed and like why because he only ever like whereas Harvey has Harvey and Bad Harvey and there, there's the two distinctive speech bubbles there's only ever one speech bubble from um from mm-hmm. um, it, well I was calling him third face um because he's got <laughs> his face done. um so that he only has one speech bubble because he's 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 just one person now he's just he's just Harvey he just <laughs> I didn't even make that realization that he was talking about not being able to protect Bruce below that that yeah. makes it even more heartbreaking yeah. that entire situation Oh, there, there's the tear that almost comes to my eye. Even thinking about that. Well, you, you just brought it up. There's that reveal later in the story where we see that Bruce Wayne from below is dead. He's been killed by Batman below, and Mm -hmm. because he came to help Harvey because they were friends, Mm -hmm. and and Harvey reveals that Amadeus Arkham wanted to save face more than save his son, Mm -hmm. and so he got into the occult, which we've also mentioned, trying to find a cure. But that entity that he communicated with, that he communed with, tricked him and left only a copy of Arthur while his real son was taken below. Mm-hmm. That's when we learned that it was Arthur's pain that would feed this entity below. And in return, yeah. Arthur's body was kept alive. Then the, the trauma began to fade. So this entity then started to build the boy's world around him, creating Gotham below to the point where the world needed a protector so mm-hmm. the quote that you have in here is and i think it is absolutely brilliant is a city built for batman a batman built for a city a never-ending trauma machine yeah <laughs> what a weird lovecraftian labyrinth yeah. you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> what do you want readers to take away from the extreme version of Gotham below and its twisted reflection on Gotham above? Well, you know, it, it's like, you know, I, I'm obviously talking about Gotham. I'm obviously, it's a critique on, on you know, on the Batman we know and, you know, and that idea of, you know, and this is like, you know, Dick has this conversation with Alfred in issue two. You know, he he says, "Would this happen if we didn't put on these costumes?" You know, there's that there's that kind of like conversation about are we the reason why this keeps happening? You know, and that's not new. That's even Nolan's Batman's Begin ends with that idea of escalation. Um, but I, I, I think it's more interesting than escalation. I think it has a weird circular thing, like where it becomes a snake eating its own tail, and we don't know where it began. You know, it's a real chicken and the egg, um, and so it, it's, it was a way of being able to be quite literal with that within Gotham Below and, and that idea of of this thing creating a Batman for the city, so that it could just. You know, in, in many ways, we are that entity. You know, we are enjoying the trauma of Gotham. You know, we are the ones being fed by Gotham, you know, as, as its readers. 
and this thing was was keeping that story going and and feeding from the trauma of it love that <laughs> the, the city is created around him that's that's awesome so you have somehow made the court of owls even more sinister than it originally was depicted. Uh, Harvey below tells Batman that as Gotham below grew, the society that formed needed leaders. And this resulted in the court of owls being formed as they wanted to become more than their above counterparts. So they, they wanted, and this is a quote to be powerful and worshiped and then left to find a, a place that they could shape. So they made Gotham above their new home. So does that mean that the Court of Owls killed their above counterparts to take their place? Okay, so I have something really cool to tell you about this. Yes. And I tried to find a way to put it in the comic, but I, there was no way of kind of putting it in that wouldn't kill the kind of the, the momentum of it. And I was just like, it doesn't need to be there. You know, you know, if someone sits down and really thinks about it, they might kind of come up with it. So like there is no court of owls in the above. Like there's no court of owls above. They don't exist. The Court of Owls came from the City of Madness. So they, they came from there. But here's where it gets cool. They did not wear masks in Gotham Below because they didn't have to. So why would they wear masks in Gotham Above? Well, they wore masks because somewhere in Gotham Above, their doppelgangers were walking around. So they had to wear masks so they so their 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 copies wouldn't they wouldn't be seen. So they would they they basically when they entered Gotham, they knew there was a version of them already in Gotham. And that's why they wore the masks. So they could hide completely in so that so there will be versions of the Court of Owls walking around in well they won't be anymore because they'll have died natural deaths, but they would have been copies of every single one of those kind of like court members walking around in Gotham and they were this secret cabal with these masks so nobody knew it was them so you've got all you know if i ever kind of do more story there's the whole thing of like well what happens if one court of, court member actually saw its human counterpart what mm-hmm. would happen then and you've got this whole like you know you'd have a really lovely dynamic of who's the copy who's the you know there's a there's there's a whole load of other stories you could do with that but that's that was the idea so that the court battles are actually fun Gotham below, and the reason why they wear masks is so they're not they're not discovered by their kind of human counterparts, or revealed by their human counterparts. That's amazing. <laughs> With these entities coming from below, is there like prolonged life because mm-hmm. of where they're coming from? So then they're just able to exist. They're not human. They're they're just they're things made by an entity. So I just I really love that idea of of. They're, they're this thing that just quietly exists in, in Gotham that kind of like it's bigger and older than Gotham. I mean, I love that that, that, that stuff. It's really, it's really <laughs> cool. It's really cool. I almost did a swear word then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, there's that hint at the end of the book that I do that with another character um, because I just think that stuff's really... You know, when you get, to, you know, the, the DC gave me the keys to pretty much, I mean, it was amazing. They gave me the keys to pretty much do whatever I want with this because it's its own thing. It's its own bubble. You know, there's been speculation on like kind of like, on, you know, social media and the kind of like forums and stuff, whether this will have any ramifications 
in the you know the main DC, and it it won't because it's its own thing, you know. So um, I can I can be as wild and as you know out there as I like without worrying about kind of like ruining anyone else's toys because it's just it's just my story and it's contained. You know whether I get up to continue that story within that world it remains to be seen, but I, I hope so. I think it'd be really cool. I, I will be shocked if we do not get to see a return to this world. And because you just brought it up, the, the big reveal yeah. at the yeah. end of the storyline is as Alfred is contemplating, well, whatever happened to the copy of Arthur yeah. that was brought to Gotham above. And then we see the, the paneling of the Joker. I mean, that could just be a coincidence, though, couldn't it? Could just be a coincidence. absolute coincidence. <laughs> I mean, maybe we should ask the creator what they intended. Yeah, is he around? <laughs> I mean, look, look. I mean, you know, it was too. It. I mean, I think kind of like the, the Joker exists in this this realm of kind of like unknown. And so I, you know, so I don't want to be categorically. This is what it is, but you know. It's he's such a large and unlike character. He's a character that defies any kind of logical sense. Um, to me, he always works best as, as a kind of dark force rather than a man who lost his way. Um, and so I kind of wanted to kind of wink at that, you know. Um, but obviously, you know, and. I love the idea of the Joker being a kind of mirror of Batman and and for him potentially to be a copy of a boy that lost his parents is quite interesting. And, you know, and that copy, if that's what it is, you know, he would have gone a whole life in Gotham before he became the Joker. So there's still, who knows, you know, there's still a lot going on there. Um, but it was just too tantalising to do. And I, and I don't think you can do a story that, kind of is a spiritual sequel to Arkham Asylum series House of Earth without the Joker. You know, he had to feature in it somewhere. Mm. Uh, I didn't want him to overtake it. I didn't want him to be mm. the, the main feature. Um, but yeah. it, it had to have it had to have a real emotional impact at the end, a real kind of like as much as a, of a gut punch as I could do. Um you know, you know, lots of people complain that the character is overused, but regardless of that, no one can deny his intrinsic kind of like entanglement with Batman, and that's really fascinating to me. Upon further examination, when when I was rereading City of Madness to prepare for this interview, I I started thinking about that that duality between Joker and Batman, having Joker and Batman below be mirror versions of one another. So you have. Arthur and his copy yeah, exactly. both becoming the opposite of one another. So like exactly. the two sides of the same coin. Exactly. How Joker is so much the other half of Batman's identity that it doesn't even matter that Bruce is not that Batman. There has yeah. still come into existence that other version despite Bruce's inconsequential existence. Well, I just love the idea that like, you know, that there's an element of story there that, that kind of explains why he's so obsessed with Batman because he sees himself in it, which he might not be able to even fully comprehend. Um, you know, that's just, you know, it was just, it was just so, it just fit. 
it just fit, you know. And I think that's the thing. I think, you know, you, you can you have to be careful and you have to really tread carefully uh, when you're kind of like introducing big swing ideas that they're not just there for shock factor. They're not just there for like, wow. Like it had to make, as you say, you know, Lance, as you kind of reread it, it made sense to you. That's really important. It has to have, you know, if you, I want this to be a book that people can reread and reread. And every time they reread it, they're going to, pick something up because like the end like I know I know exactly what the end was when I started right in the beginning it's uh, you know I didn't I didn't make it up as I went along I knew where I was going so there are hints all the way through right from the start that where we go whoa easy there tiger I mean so it was um like it, it, it's it's lovely to hear you kind of making those connections that, you know, I had in my mind, um, you know, cause you don't, it's really, <coughs> excuse me. It's really important. You don't, as I kind of said, you, I didn't want to kind of like, I had to keep it quite vague with, with that reveal. So there, there is that, you know, I want someone to read it. And if, if they really don't want that to be who their joker is, Right. If they can, they don't have to have it as their joker. Um, they can kind of, you know, you know, it's what you know. Obviously, you know, you guys know what I intended. Um, right. But, but, you know, it, it's important for some characters. You know, a, a reader's ownership of a character as old as Batman is important. You know, and you have to feel like you know they they belong to you to some degree. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was just too cool not to do it. Yeah. 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 The the beauty of Joker is his his terror lies in the ambiguity. So the fact that even though this was it was presented like here is the potential copy mm-hmm. of Arthur, the fact that it's not directly stated leaving the ambiguity still makes the story even scarier than if you had mm-hmm. just said the reality of what happened. Of course, because it's it's you can't hold on to the Joker. He's smoke, and that that's that's what's so scary. He's the nightmare that you can't touch, but he gets closer and closer. Um, you know, the, you know, he's you know, if, if there was going to be a sequel, if if DC greenlit a sequel, you know, it, it's going to be him. We're we're starting the campaign tomorrow for that, yeah. so don't worry. Do, do you want to know what it would be called? I can tell you. Yes, please. Prince of Madness. <laughs> all in <laughs> so so feel free to just just forward those pages to us as you make them like we won't share it anywhere really we're really good at keeping secrets yeah so that that's that that's the working tile my mind immediately like in terms i mean i'm sure you have this whole thing but like my my twisted mind started thinking more cosmic in terms of like what's the rest of the dc pantheon like like is there if this has happened before with beings being created out of trauma like there are other traumatic heroes that you know that, that have alternate versions and i what is the cosmic mirror of you know green lantern or flash or or superman or that sort of thing and and do they start intertwining and in yeah the universe cool, is like there's so many there's so many yeah. fun things that, that you can play i mean this was just uh beautifully gotham centric but i i i started thinking about like Ooh, like what is the rest yeah, yeah, yeah. of the cosmic universe? Um, yeah, yeah that, that'd be really fun. 
yeah, that would be cool. But I mean, like you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bad boy through and through. So like for yeah, me, yeah. It, would, it would be definitely about kind of like you know staying within that kind of that realm. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't think I'd be seen. I don't think we'd be seeing anyone else just yet. Um, but what? Who yeah. knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, because you know, there is um, there's definitely a kind of like a bizarroness about Gotham. Yeah. So there's definitely a connection there, I think. Hmm. Is Bizarro from the below? That's interesting. <laughs> um, so I, I have a, as an artist, I have a kind of a personal query. Uh, we, we, we've seen some, your struggles, can we say about uh, some of the art technology and things like that. And, and um, you know, like you, you've used Photoshop and use a uh, Wacom tablet and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and uh you know like what's that what's the process like i mean assuming it all works but like what's what's your art process like in terms of is it is it strictly digital at this point is it um do you lay down you know pencils and then scan it or like- no 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 it's it's fully digital i i i let analog go quite many years ago i mean like i still do commissions and stuff i mean yeah, yeah. There, there is a little bit of analog in the textual side of things so i have um I've got sheets and sheets and sheets of kind of like watercolor textures where I just kind of like uh, okay. expressively paint and splatter mm-hmm. and let it dry, pour olive oil on it, sprinkle salt on it. You know, so I've got like a, I've got like a folder yeah. on my computer where I've scanned, there must be like 30, 40 different kind of like paintings, you know, which is just textural. And yeah. then I will, I will, you know, they will be incorporated within the digital coloring to give you know to give that tension of you know it's not fully digital there's a little bit of kind of grit in there but as yeah. far as drawing it's yeah i'm fully digital um so i draw on them um, on a cintiq like i'm cintiq um and it's all yeah it's all like kind of i sketch it out and then just i mean it might uh, it to the horror of all the editors that work with me i don't do roughs um <laughs> it's um you know i just do it, it's the page it's gonna sound really pretentious but the page just kind of happens and grows i mean i think i used to be a fine art painter i used to mm-hmm. be kind of canvases and i never knew what i had a i would have a vague idea of what a piece would look like so i'd sort of see it in my mind's eye but then half the fun of it would would be as I built towards it, would would I go off and veer this way? Would I go off and veer that way? And, and I would be surprised by the kind of final result and it would be exciting to me. And because it was exciting to me, I, I remained engaged in it and I had a far more active piece of artwork. And so when I do pages, it, it's it's very much the same thing. The only difference being is obviously I have to keep referring back to the script, whether that be a script that I've written or in in case of like my current book spectrograph uh, a script that james tinian has written you know and it's going back to the story you know does it serve the story but also it's just allowing it to kind of grow and and allow myself to discover cool elements of design or kind of cool like little things that i feel like if i sketch something out that locks me down far too tightly yeah it makes sense as i was rereading the the issues again I I noticed that at various times within the book, the interior of Batman's cape or the logo will, the the color scheme will shift. 
And yeah. uh, I'm curious. So like sometimes it's red. Sometimes it's that that original like purple coloring that he had in that design. Was there a specific reason or emotion you were trying to convey when those would shift throughout the story? Yeah, it's his contained emotion. Um, so he's, you know, he's Batman when the cloak is down, but it's that, it's, I saw it as kind of like his escaping emotion, like it's just getting out, do you know what I mean? He's, as he moves, it's kind of like, it's, it's, you know, leaving him like steam. Um, so that's, that was the idea of of it being purple and obviously a wink to the kind of the initial design of Batman that had the purple gloves. Um, so it's, it's a little, it's a, 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 tip of the hat to that and this this you know i really like a kind of you know expressive art uh, and uh, abstract expression um so there'll often be kind of little elements of abstract expression for all of my work and, and that was what that was it makes total sense because i have so within book three i have this the splash page yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. right here and it, you pretty much say exactly what you just said but within the dialogue of batman he's at the zenith of a lost mind years ago and mm-hmm. but he's not allowed to let himself contemplate those things he because he has the mission to save this robin new robin that's been taken so he's he says so i don't listen to my body to my mind i put the unease in a box stifle the bile rising in my throat it's almost like I've really thought it out, isn't it? <laughs> right? Wild. <laughs> I, I, I do have another question uh, about the uh, storyline element. Within the story, we have Killer Croc show up, and he's this yeah. kaiju-sized being. And Batman uses the, gra- the bat grappling hook to go through his neck in, yeah. in, in this absolute brutal moment. But within Arkham Asylum... There's also that encounter with with the javelin, yeah, with Croc, with the with, javelin, and yeah. and also appearing to to also kill Killer Croc there. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of out of curiosity, was this just an homage to that moment, or is there a deeper meaning to to Batman being more willing to mortally wound enemies that he sees as legitimate monsters? Uh, but that's the that that's what I like. I really like the idea that um, you know, and, and Talon. Talon is very quick to point out his hypocrisy with that. Right. That he kind of like, he kind of, you know, only moments before they're getting crushed by the horde of kind of Batman below or the, you know, the mindless kind of like people like kind of crushing them because they think that their Jesus has come back to them being Talon. Uh, and, um, you know, but he still, he, you know, those, those people, aren't people they're kind of entities as is killer croc below but like because they look like people there's he he's like he protects them rather than you know show any kind of remorse i mean it's you know you have to tread a line with batman and uh you know i have to be careful that that his intent is necessarily to kill him you know batman is not a murderer i'm not a, i'm not a kind of believer of like i don't subscribe to the kind of you know snyder bros you know batman kills that's not that's not batman to me batman does not kill now batman now has batman ever killed yeah probably he has um so i think that there is an element of kind of like he's a bit more brutal with croc than he probably would be with, you know, someone who wasn't so obviously monstrous uh, because he's not really seen 
past that, you know, facade. You know, and Croc is just as much a victim in that in that world as as Talon points out as anyone. Um, so yeah, there is a there is a sense of kind of like it's you know George killing the dragon because he feels like that's what mm. George does. Even in your book, it says he mentions that it wasn't his intent to to harm Croc in that way. He was just trying to protect. So that, like you just mentioned, how Talon points out the fact intent doesn't matter. You you did what you did yeah. and you need yeah. to take responsibility because that is just hypocrisy. Oh, exactly. And, and Batman's righteous, you know, and, and this is the thing. I think we can we can really we can love a character, but that character can still be flawed. And it was important to me that Batman was flawed. You know, he's righteous and he's blinded to things um, and he should feel infuriating at times. And at other times, really heroic and really kind of like, you know, you, you, you know, you're rooting for him because he always wants to do. I mean, I think that's the thing. He always wants to do what's right. And he's, you know, he go, he goes down to this world to save, you know, a, a teenage young boy. That's the only reason why he's there. He's not there to take revenge. He's not there to, to kind of end the world. Uh, end Gotham below, or even save the world. He's literally there to save a child. Um, so it's a very pure intent that he has. But and I think that's it's interesting to me when that's at, at odds with some of his, you know, his tactics and his, you know, what he does. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, it's it's both a reference to Arkham Asylum, and also it was a really interesting way of me then kind of really examining how Batman is with all of his rogues, you know, Clayface, Scarecrow, you know, all the ones that aren't don't quite fit the kind of, you know, the more straight, you know, human-looking characters. It was brilliant. I, I love that part of the book oh, because it, it adds all these complexities to who Batman is and the fact that Talon needs to be this voice of reason in the moment yeah, is I know, right? both, both hilarious and <laughs> it's like really sad. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, you know, for all of his, you know, Talon is, 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 um, he's very simple. You know, he's not a complicated character. He's a weapon and, and he, he, you know, the, the court points and he goes, you know, but he can still see. And I think that's why he's so irritated at Batman because he sees this person that's just pretending to be this righteous you know, person and, and it's like, you know, and, and he can see the hypocrisy and it annoys him because he's just like, well, well really, we're, we're not that different. And yet you act all high and mighty. And, you know, that, whereas he's like, you know, he belongs to the Court of Owls who are far older than Batman. So it's, there's a lot of kind of tension there in regards to status and, and who feels that they're the, the better person. Listeners, if you haven't read Batman City of Madness, why in the world did you listen to this episode? That was a horrible decision. <laughs> First <But> of all, spoilers. <laughs> con- please contact your local shops to see if they still have any of these issues because my local shops had sold out within the first day, if not the first few days of them being released. But you can be excited because there's a beautiful hardcover that's going to be dropping on September 3rd of this year. So definitely get those pre-orders in right now. And Christian, you have some really exciting news coming out, which is you have a new series from Distillery with one of our favorite creators, James yeah. Tynan the Fourth, called Spectagraph. Do you want to let our listeners know a little bit about what Spectagraph is? 
It is, uh, well, firstly, it's a book that me and James have been talking about for years, but both being as busy as we are, it's about finding, it was about finding the time to do it. And, and you know, and Distillery coming along just gave us the perfect time to kind of, you know, jump in and make it happen. But it's, um, I would describe it as a kind of psychedelic ghost house story, kind of Clive Barker meets Michael Mann. It's, I don't want to go too far into the kind of the story, but it's, it's really cool. And it's, it's going to be, it's what James does so beautifully, you know, taking a kind of horror genre and turning it on its head. It is, if you, you're into ghosts, you're going to love it. If you're not into ghosts, you're still going to love it because we're <laughs> really going to do something really cool with it. Um, it's been a real gear change for me from Batman, which is really nice. Kind of like, drawing on a kind of sunny noir feel to it you know it's a it's a noir that happens in in like the californian sun which is really nice so lots of blues and, and greens um and then with this really cool incredibly original take on ghosts so, i mean we've really done something really unusual with the ghosts um a few of them have been out there very heavily inspired by hellraiser i'm a huge clive barker fan so i've been able to you know inject a little bit of that flavor into it which has been brilliant um nice so if you're a fan of of kind of like james's or you're a fan of mine or you're a fan of clive barker there's gonna be something <laughs> in this book for you you basically just said if you like things you'll yeah, like this yeah, book. yeah 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 <laughs> So yeah, no, it's been cool, um, you know, and it, it's funny because like I've my kind of career now is very much about me writing and drawing my own things because that's just kind of what I want to do now. But James is like he's a powerhouse, like you know, I, I love his stuff. So it's very much like a swan song in regards to my collaborations with other writers. And I was just like, well, I'm going to go out big, you know, I'm going to work with one of the biggest writers in the industry now. Um, so it's great. It's you know, I'm working on issue issue one now um i've got a, you know the last kind of like 10 pages or so left to do of issue one and then it's straight on to issue two and it's it's just like batman city of madness it's it's large scale format so you know so when the shit hits the fan it hits the fan spectacularly <laughs> I, I swore. I got one swear. Go. That's okay. You, everybody gets one. Everybody gets one. Do we know how many issues Spectrograph is going to be? It's it's four. I think that's been announced. I don't think I'm spoiling anything. Yeah, it's four. It'll be out in April. I'm excited because I'm behind the times because this is going to be the first distillery book that I pick up. Oh, thank you. I am extremely excited about it. And I know our listeners will also very much like this book. It's going to be cool. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to bring up about City of Madness or your upcoming work? No, no. I think just, um, you know, as always, you know, I do this for the, you know, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my fans that support my work. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for podcasters like yourself kind of giving me a platform to talk about my work, you know, and it's, you know, so, and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the retailers selling my work. So it's, 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 as I like to end all my interviews, it's about acknowledging that it's, this, this is, you know, this only works because we all want it to work. We greatly appreciate you taking the time to join us today. And again, we, we both love Batman City of Madness and we cannot yeah. wait 
for Prince of Madness that I'm sure will get announced (laughs) (laughs) very soon. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Christian, where can our listeners find you on social media? I'm uh, I'm still at Twitter, and I will always call it that. Uh, And I'm CJ Ward Art um, on Twitter. I'm also CJ Ward Art on uh, Instagram. I'm on Blue Sky, but I forget what it is. But I'm sure if you put Christian Ward in, it'll pop up. Uh, But I I don't post there too much. Um, You know, that's it, really. I've got a newsletter, but it's Substack, so I'm not going to use that anymore because. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. F them guys. Um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, understandably yeah. so. Um, so unfortunately, uh, I need to find a new home for a newsletter that I'll probably will never send out, but that'll come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's time to close the book on Batman City of Madness. So until next time, this is Chris. And this is Lance. And this is Christian. Reminding you to keep your friends close. But your comic books closer. That might be the best read we've ever had.